We looked last week at Galatians 1, 1 through 5, and did somewhat of an overview of, of Galatians in the book, and we talked about the challenge uh, of keeping the gospel pure, the one true gospel as God has given it, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection three days later of Jesus Christ, the fact that no one comes to God except through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we saw in our, in our uh, culture series uh, early on that really the gospel is the most um, offensive thing about Christianity. It's not our, it's not our stance on uh, who uh, should be married, what genders can marry. It's not our stance on, on homosexuality. It's not our stance on any of these things. It's our stance that says that Jesus Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him. That that is the most offensive uh, aspect of Christianity. And yet it is the very foundation upon which Christianity is built. The gospel. The, the fact that Jesus Christ has set Himself apart from all other so-called gospels. The fact that Jesus Christ has done for us what we could have never done for ourselves. And what Galatians is about, what we're going to look at today, what we're going to look at over the next weeks, is, is it's about keeping a true gospel, a gospel that is built entirely upon the grace of God, entirely upon what Jesus Christ has done in obedience to His Father. It is about keeping Jesus Christ at the center of that gospel. Not my effort, not your effort. It's not Jesus Christ plus anything. We, we are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And, and Paul speaks to that here. Paul knew that. He grew in that grace. He says multiple times here that he once tried to destroy, to, to, to persecute heavily the church. And that same church, that same grace that he was chasing against, fighting against, is the same grace that saved him from, all, from the very sin that he was committing against it. That's grace. That would forgive you for the very thing that you're doing against that grace. And, and what I want us to see today is the need, the importance of keeping the gospel center, but also being able to defend it. To defend it. I was reminded of the importance of this this week, because some of you may or may not know, you may have read up on it, but at Wheaton College, it's a Christian college. Some of the great men of our, of our faith have walked through those doors. I believe Billy Graham attended that college. There are professors there even today arguing of whether Christians and Muslims serve the same God. It's an issue. Listen, this is a contemporary issue. What we're talking about today was an issue in Paul's day. It is an issue, it's an issue in our day. Do we serve the same God? Do all roads lead to the same ocean? All rivers. I, I was speaking to our neighbor. Um, a, a, he's a good friend. He's become a good friend. We actually took our kids golfing yesterday and got a chance to share with him even more. But he will tell you his beliefs are that all rivers lead to the same ocean. He's Hindu, he just puts Jesus Christ up there with all the other millions of gods that he serves, and he just, it's, it's just one of many gods. And I told him the problem is that Jesus Christ doesn't allow that. He, he has basically said it's either me or not, it's either me or, or not me. 
It's either all the millions of gods minus Jesus, or it's Jesus minus all the millions of other gods. When you say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, that's a pretty exclusive statement. And then, and then Jesus Christ himself, unlike all these other so-called gods, was willing to die on a cross to pay the penalty that your sin and my sin required be paid. Will we contend for this gospel? Will we grow up in the grace of this gospel? Will we embrace fully and the fact that there is... It, it should not, what should not amaze us is that there is only one way to God. That shouldn't amaze us. What should amaze us is that there's any way for a sinner to get to God. That's what should amaze us. Not that there's just one way. That, that shouldn't be the most appalling thing. The most appalling thing ought to be the fact that there's any way for a lost sinner such as myself, unrighteous to, to be able to stand, to be made whole, to stand in the presence of a holy, righteous God. That's what's amazing. Because listen, if, if, if God would have offered a thousand ways to get to Him, I promise you we would have wanted a thousand and one. We, we want to make our own way. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul was battling with that in what Lee just read. It's about contending for the one true gospel. And this is important. Again, eternal, he, uh, eternal life. You're, you, where you will spend eternity is contingent upon getting this right. And so the point I want us to walk away from here today, I, I'm trying to drill these things at, at, when possible just to the simplest, just to walk out of here with one truth, and you see it on your handout. It is important that we know what we believe it's important that we know what we believe, but it's also important that we're prepared to contend for that gospel of which we believe. We've got to know it, and we've got to be prepared to defend it. Think about this. When, when your children go off to college, when my children go off to college, they're not, under your t they're not under your eye, under your nose every single day. Here's the question. Will they be able to defend their beliefs? Or will we find out that maybe their beliefs were just simply your beliefs that they were, that they were aligning themselves with while they were under, their, under your house, playing according to your rules? Do they really believe what they say they really believe? Can they stand up to that professor who tells them that Christianity and Muslims and all these other religions all serve the same God? Can they defend that? Do they even care enough to defend that? Maybe they don't even care. And maybe it's this. Maybe their parents don't care enough. Maybe they inherited that from, a, from, from watching a mom and dad that really didn't care, that just played church. I'm convinced, Ephesians 6, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. One of the primary ways we do that is not backing up our lives with what we say. We say, we, we say we're loyal to God, but our kids see it 24-7. We, we play church on Wednesday and we play church on Sunday, but then when we go home, our kids see that our lives don't back up what we say sometimes. That's the number one way to, to, to provoke anger in a child is hypocrisy. To demand something of them that you're not demanding first of yourself. To, to present something out in the public that they don't see backed up in, behind closed doors. Will, will our children cave? Will they be able to defend themselves? Can, can they, can our children detect a false gospel? 
Can they tell the difference? And, and the question becomes to, to, to us, who, who even who is God? Do we know Him? A.W. Tozer, I was reminded, uh, John reminded me this morning, A.W. Tozer in his, in his book called The Pursuit of God says this, To most people, God is an inference, not a reality. He is a, duct, a deduction from evidence, but He remains personally unknown to us as individuals. Would that be you? Would you be like what Paul saw a statue in, 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 in Acts where he says the statue said to, a, to an unknown God? Or can you say, no, no, I know, or as Paul said, no, no, I know that God. I know Him personally. The, the question becomes is, do we know personally the God behind this gospel? Because when, when we know the God behind this gospel, we'll understand why the gospel had to be the way it was. You'll, you'll begin to see the goodness in how He designed the gospel totally based on Christ's work. Why? Because you and I had nothing to offer. You'd understand the ramifications of not correcting errors with regards to the gospel. Why all roads don't lead to the same God. We're not dealing with the same God. We're combating false gods. You'd see that the gospel is the ultimate truth. It's not just an opinion. That's what Paul says here. He says that this was not according to man. I didn't come up with this on my own. You can go to 2 Peter 1.20. For no prophecy of Scripture ever came about by man's own interpretation, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke as the Holy Spirit led them. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God breathes and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. So the man of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This gospel, this one true gospel, did not originate in man. That's what Paul is trying to say. He had a man-centered gospel. He was living for it. He was high up the ranking, up, up the, the ladder when it came to man-centered gospels as a Pharisee. And he walked away because it was a false gospel. He, Lee read it in verse 11. For I would have you known, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me was not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor I was taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace. And what we see is that the gospel, that the truth of the gospel originated with God and in God, not man. This gospel originated with God. Sets Christianity apart from every other religion. This isn't Joseph Smith finding some tablets up in a tree somewhere that nobody can verify. This isn't a bunch of men just writing down what Muhammad said and then we all just trying to say what we think he really said. This is God speaking. Men wrote as God spoke. You go to Acts 17, that's exactly what Jesus says. God sent His Son, Jesus, who is the Word. Jesus said the Word to the apostles. The apostles wrote down the Word. You and I study the Word. God is the source. This isn't just man's opinions. That's why Paul says, he says, it's crazy. Even if, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what you have preached, he is to be accursed. That is the same word that you go back into Deuteronomy when he says, when you go into Canaan, you utterly destroy them. Same word, utterly destroy them. Same concept. You, you, if Paul says, if I an angel or anyone else preaches you a gospel other than this, 
accursed. And, and Paul says in verse 6, I'm amazed that you are quickly deserting. It, that is a remi- it's interesting how quickly that happens. Think about, think about Israel. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. Guess what he finds when he comes down? They're worshiping a golden calf. It's amazing how quickly God's people will desert him. How quickly we'll become turncoats. The word desert there literally means change in allegiance. Change in allegiance. And that is what the Galatians were in danger of doing, was turning to a gospel that really was not a gospel at all. And you can see it in Galatians 5.10. This was a, a fear Paul had for them. And he says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul's saying, I have confidence you won't, but I'm going to preach to you the gospel again to make sure you don't abandon this true gospel for another false gospel. And what Paul does to correct them is to bring them the true gospel. When a brother and sister is struggling with sin, when they've, when they've turned away, go to them with the gospel. Correct them with the true gospel. And it's interesting, he says here, that this is the, it was a disastrous thing. He says to turn from another so-called gospel was literally to desert God himself. To, de- to desert God. That, that's the, that's the, the gravity of what we're dealing with here. And to turn to what? He says it's not even a gospel. There is no other gospel. You're, you're turning to something that doesn't offer what it promises. It's a counterfeit. Because it rejects God and it rejects the grace of Christ. It, there's no forgiveness. Again, where there is no shed blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's Hebrews 9. There's no forgiveness. There's no forgiveness apart from shed blood. That's what all the animals, that's what all those sacrifices in the Old Testament were reminding the Israel of the costliness of sin, the grossness of sin, that someone's got to die. Romans 3.20, I mean 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Somebody's got to die. Jesus Christ, God in His grace, was willing to crucify His own Son. That's the one true gospel centered upon His death his burial, and his resurrection. There is no forgiveness of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin apart from belief in that gospel with your whole life. And the, the reason, the reason, again, all other gospels, I was talking to my neighbor. I said, Manny, what happens when you get to the end of your life? He says, well, I hope that my good works outweigh my bad. I hope. I said, what happens if you don't? What they don't? Well, I think I get reincarnated and get another shot at it. And I said, Manny, that, that's not good news. It's not good news. I said, let me tell you about a gospel that tells me right on the front end that there's no way, shape, or form, no way that I can live up to God's standard. I'm done from the get-go. But let me introduce you to a, a God who was willing to crucify his own son so that I didn't have to worry about measuring up because his son measured up and I'm now found in his son who was perfect. I don't need a righteousness of my own. God, by, by placing my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God has given me his son's righteousness. He's declared that upon me. I, I'm simply living that out. That's good news. 
The, the gospel of, that, God, that Paul was given through Christ was good news because it stands on its own and it's complete. There's no hope so, it's I know so. I'm a sinner. That sin has separated me eternally from God. God sent His Son to reconcile lost sinners. The Son of Man, did not. He came to seek and save that which was lost. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not, I hope so, it's not, I'll wait and see. It's, no, no, Jesus' work is complete. Therefore, my salvation, when I'm trusting in Him, it's complete, it's done. That's why messing with the gospel is worthy of condemnation. Because to alter this gospel is literally to send somebody to hell. This isn't something we're selling. It doesn't need to be prettied up. It doesn't need to be altered. It doesn't need to be just, just, just a tweak to get people to believe it. We're not here to market it. There, there are other false religions out there that in their word they will tell you you can misrepresent the truth in order to get them to proclaim allegiance to that gospel. Willing to lie to get you to claim allegiance to that gospel. Not this one. It says it's this way or no way. That's why in Corinthians it says that it's, a, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Look, when we alter the gospel, listen to what Paul is saying. When we alter the gospel to make it more acceptable to man, we're actually leading them to hell because that is a false gospel. To, uh, to alter it in any way. To change it, to make it more believable, to more receivable, it, it's, it's to alter, the, it's like changing oxygen. Or, or better yet, water. Isn't water H2O? That's H2O. I almost said that was oxygen, but oxygen has a different formula. But look, you change the formula. I think it does anyway. It's just O2. There you go, O2. So my question is, what would it be if it was O4? What about O3? It'd kill you. That's my point. That's my point. I'm smart enough to know that. O2, leave it at O2. O3, you're dead. But, but here's my point. Think about the gospel that way. There's a formula. You change it, you've, you've, you've created something entirely different that will ultimately kill you. It's real close. O3 is real close to O2. You just added one whatever that is. What's the big deal? The big deal is you die. You change the gospel, the big deal is this. People die and go to hell because they miss the real gospel. And what this boils down to is the same exact thing we saw in 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15 when we started our series on culture. That, that's why we're studying the book of Galatians to follow up with that. Ultimately, here's what it boils down to. Are you seeking to please God or are you seeking to please man? That's what this will all boil down to. Paul says it in, in verse 10. Am I seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And, and that's really what it boils down to. If our goal is to be liked, if our goal is to be popular, if our goal is to fit in, we will not defend this gospel. We won't share this gospel and we won't defend it. Why? Because it's going to be offensive. It's going to cost us. It's going to cost us dearly. We're, we're, you're, student, you're not going to be the most popular person on campus for, for preaching this gospel, for sharing this gospel. You're not going to be the most popular person at work. 
That's why Paul said, to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. Yes, what? But to those who are being saved, it's the gift of life. That person that, you, that person that God uses you to draw to himself and repent, you're going to be their hero. Obviously, Jesus Christ is their hero, but God used you to bring that person into eternal salvation, eternal life. And the point is, Paul is saying, is leave the gospel alone and just simply preach it the way it is to glorify your Father, not yourself. Because, again, the main issue is who are you seeking to please? Who do you want to please in your life? Man or, or God? And if you want to please God, verses 11 through 24 show us what Paul, the, the, the ultimately how he contended and fought and grew up in the gospel. That's verses 11 through 24, and it talks about the role of discipleship. We don't just get saved and immediately know everything there is to know. We, we are saved and we're an infant. That's 1 Corinthians 3. That's a Hebrews 5. That's 1 Peter 2 where it says, grow, by, 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 the, by the feeding of pure milk, we're to grow up in respects to salvation. We need to grow up. Just like my, my, my son and daughter are growing up with regards to math, growing up with regards to being able to write, growing up with regards to being able to read, and what once was complicated now is natural. Why? Because they practiced it. That's, that's discipleship. To understand truth so that we can recognize falsities, that we can recognize false gospels. Because look at verse 7 of 1 Corinthians. He says, there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel all throughout the Bible. False teachers, false teachers, false teachers, false teachers. That's why 1 John 4, 1 says, test the spirits. Why? Because not everybody that comes to you and then under the guise of Christianity is true. Even, even what you hear me saying, back it up with the Bible. Just because Chris said it, I'm not infallible. Test it. Somebody comes to you with some truth, you go back to the Word, and you sift it through the Word and see if it shells out. If it doesn't shell out, it ain't true. Test it. But we've got to grow up to do that. We've got to grow up to recognize it. It's like our kids. You, ever, you sit down and watch commercials with your kids. They're, they're so young and gullible, they think that what that toy in the advertisement, they think it actually does what they make it out to do. And, and you have to have that conversation. Look, Bradley, Sarah Grace, that thing is never going to do what it did in that commercial. They're tricking you into buying that product. It's a trick. It's called marketing. It don't do what you, it doesn't do what you, that thing says it's going to do. And, and they, but you see, as a parent, I've got to help them. I've got to disciple them. They've got to grow up to recognize that these things are false. And we as Christians have got to grow up so that we can recognize the false gospels, that we can recognize the goodness in the gospel that God's given us. And that, that's discipleship. And you see it on your handout, a couple of points. As we grow in God's grace and salvation, we begin to better understand God's holiness in the depths of our sinfulness. We understand why the gospel is the way it is because we are utterly sinful, utterly incapable of saving ourselves. We needed a rescuer, as Paul says in Galatians 1.4, a rescuer. Someone who would come to our aid, who we're drowning in our sin. We needed somebody to throw us a life preserver. We cannot swim to the shore on our own. 
And, and as we begin to grow up and understand that because we understand how holy God is and how sinful man is and how incompatible those two are, that we're incapable of being good enough. You study the Bible, you that, that idea eliminates, you get rid of that idea real quick. There's no way I was good enough. But not only that, as we go and grow in God's grace, we begin to see why God had to author salvation the way we could, that we could never save ourselves. Again, we see that gulf was so wide. We see that our sin debt was so just huge, there's no way we could pay that off through good works. Additionally, as we go in God's grace, we understand that our mission, what our mission is as believers, to go and share that same gospel through which we were saved, to go share it. That's exactly what Paul says in 11 through 24. And we, un we begin to understand that it was no small feat for God to save us, that what really it took to save us, to render us savable. But not only that, you begin to understand the transformation that God's Word begins to take place in your life through discipleship. Look at verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism behind many of my contemporaries, among, many, among my countrymen being more extremely zealous for all my ancestral trans, uh, traditions. But I love the beginning of verse 15. But God... I pray that every single one of us in here has had a but God moment. We were dead to sin, listen to me, but God. His grace stepped in and by believing upon Jesus Christ forgave that sin. Paul understood the depravity, the depth of his sinfulness. In no way did he try to diminish it. Look, he's writing to people who would have known about his former way of life. See, you and I, we don't, we don't know each other that well. There's a lot of your life and a lot of my life that you don't really know about. And we go to great lengths to keep it that way because we, we really don't understand God's grace and we don't understand in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 how God wants to use that grace in our lives to comfort others so we hide it because we're ashamed instead of just realizing that God has wiped it clean. Paul says, look, there's no hiding here. I'm writing to people that knew who I was. But that's, that's old. That's been forgiven. There's nothing you can bring up about my sin that's going to convict me because Christ has forgiven it. God, who knew everything there was to know, as Daniel sang this morning, still chose to forgive me. That, that's amazing. You think about that, that the God who knows me better than anyone else, better than even know myself, the Bible teaches me that I, at any given moment, I have no idea how utterly sinful I am. And yet the very God that knows how utterly sinful I am would be willing to save me, would be willing to adopt me, would be willing to call me His child, would be willing to lavish grace upon me every day. That for John 1, every moment when I wake up, there's grace waiting for me that day. That, that, that God would save me, that's crazy. Because you, you guys, some of you guys like me, but you really don't even know me. And I like you, some of you, and, and I really don't know you. But if we really knew each other, but if we really knew each other, and we really knew who we, who we were and what we were about, would we love each other? See, that's the challenge in marriage. It's hard to hide a lot of that stuff sometimes in marriage. They see you. You see just like what I put forth out there that I want to be seen. I'm like the television ad. Karen knows, for better or worse. I remind her, for richer or poorer, babe, for better or worse. 
and yet God saved me. It is no small feat. Paul was persecuting, trying to destroy the very grace that he was saved by. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and yet Paul understood through discipleship that it was his job to then go out and preach that very same truth, to guard it. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.14. We, we talked about mission a minute ago. It says, Paul says to Timothy, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Do you realize that your job and my job as Christians is to guard the gospel? Protect and defend truth? To stand up for truth? Listen to Jude 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing, listen to this, that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Contend earnestly. That word contend, it literally means agonize, struggle. It's a word used in, a, in, a, in an athletic endeavor. Is that, is that you? Are you straining more than anything else to be able to defend your faith? Are you straining and, and striving for other things? Are you contending earnestly for, the, for, the, for this gospel or are you open to other gospels? Because my job and your job as the church, you and I are the church. This building isn't the church. You and I are the church. Our, we exist to protect and communicate true doctrine no matter what the world thinks or wants. That's the God instituted the church, the people, His people, to be defenders and protectors and communicators and guarders of truth. Why? Because our eternal lives depend on it. I've staked my entire life that this gospel is true. If you're in here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've staked your entire life. Listen, because if it's not true, then there's a lot of other things I would be doing right now. There's a lot of other ways that my flesh, my sinful flesh that the Holy Spirit has has crucified and the word of God is crucified that my sinful flesh would want to live differently if this gospel were not true this, this isn't just games it, it, it's interesting Paul says he spent you look at verse 18 three years I, I went up then in chapter 2 verse 1 14 years Paul spent 17 years alone with God to get all that false doctrine out of his system. To learn to grow up in respects to grace. To grow up in respects to salvation. To, to grow up in, in what it meant to be saved and, and to, to what it meant to live this out. You, you look at 1 Peter 2, 2. Verse 1 and 2, Therefore, putting aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Paul knew this isn't just, this grace was amazing. I don't just get saved by it and then I just go back to my life. I grow up. It's more than just reading a chapter. Checking a box. It's more than just, just having an email to short devotion to you and then rushing away to get on with your life. That, that's not discipleship. That's not growing up in respects to salvation. 
It's, it's learning and relating and having a relationship with the person, the person of God. Knowing Him intimately. The person of God, the one that has saved you. It's about going deeper into the gospel like we saw last week. This is about carving out intentional time alone with God to know the God who has saved you. To understand the fact that the depths of God's love, as Daniel's saying, the, 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 the depths of my sinfulness. I mean, the very verse that we've staked this church on, John 17, 3, this is eternal life that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent, a relationship. And the question is this, do you, do you really know God? Not truths about God. I can give you all kinds of stats about Jordan Spieth, about Tiger Woods, about Charlie Ward, about Bobby Bowden, about all these people, but I don't know them. I know about them. If you want to know some facts, I can tell you some facts. You want to know Jameis Winston, third greatest rookie season in NFL history, over 4,000 yards, only Cam Newton and, 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 and Luck did that. But that's meaningless. I don't know Jameis Winston. I know about him. You want to have a conversation about him? We can converse about him, but I don't know him. That's not, it's, this is not just about knowing some facts about God. This is about a relationship. This is about living for Him every day, and it cannot happen apart from personal, alone time with God. Nothing else. Nothing else interfering. Paul, Paul said everything. He, he literally, everything else was on pause to get to know this God. That's why he says in Philippians, uh, Philippians 3.7, all these things were, were dung, literally, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. He says in Philippians 3.10 that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, but also the fellowship of His sufferings. He says, whatever things were gained to me, I come for loss. Why? Because it's surpassing greatness of knowing God. Is that us? And Paul's, Paul's motivation for ministry was not the approval of man, but it was the approval of God Himself. That when he got to the end of his life, he would have run the race in such a way as to not be disqualified, as he says in 1 Timothy. That when he stood before the God who had saved him, that he would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He built on gold and silver, so that when he stood before his maker at the, the Bema Seat judgment, that his entire life would not be burned up. See, see 1 Corinthians 3. That, that he would not, you know, that person would be saved, but it says, as with the smell of smoke, their whole life burned up. And our fight today is about this. Who are we here for? Who are we seeking to please? Heresy will always be here. Satan will always be, be around masking and, and pretending to be a gospel. And the reality is, as you look, what scares me the most, when you look at this Word of God, most of the true enemies of the church came from within the church. Not from without. They came from people masquerading, playing around, fooling around, lying to themselves and others about who they really were, from within inside the church. That, that's the scary part. And, and, and here's, why, here's why it boils down to who we want to serve. You know what, I, it, I wish my flesh 
wishes that Manny was right, that all roads led to heaven. It would be great for my popularity if all roads led to heaven. It would be great for my popularity if sin wasn't sin, if sin did not separate us from a holy God. That'd be awesome. If, if we could live how we wanted to live. If our sin didn't separate us from God, that'd be great. If there were no absolutes that just, hey, whatever you want to do, you do it because you're God. That, that's a cool thing to tell people. They'll love it. They'll eat it up. Tickle their ears. They'll love it. You want to get a big following? Tell them what they want to hear. Live however you want to live. We all up in the city. We all go to heaven on a little rowboat, no matter how we live. That you just make up your own rules and you do what you want. It's no fun to stand before somebody and say, look, your, your choices don't line up with Scripture. Just this past Wednesday, I was talking to somebody, and he said, look, you're being kind of hard on me. I was like, no, nah, I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not being unloving. No, you just, it's hard to hear. It is hard to hear these truths. It's hard to come to this Word sometimes and see how wretched you are. And, and to see how much we've fallen short. But on the flip side of that, you see how gracious God is in saving us. Why I couldn't come up with a gospel on my own. Romans 5.20, again, I say it every week, I feel like, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And if I was trying to please men, that's the road I'd take. All roads lead to heaven. And, and the reason, listen, the re, see it on your hand, the reason we need maturity discipleship, the reason we need to grow up is because all these false religions are a mixture of truth and lies. They mix the truth with lies. They look the part. Irenaeus said this. He was an early church apologist. Listen to what he says in his book called Against Heresies. Error indeed is never set forth in its naked deformity, lest being thus exposed it should at once be detected. I mean, if someone came to your door and, and you peeped through the hole and there was a dude standing there with a knife and a gun, like, yeah, I wonder what this guy's up to. Let's, let's, have him, let's come on in and check him out. Let's see what he's up to. Maybe he just found those. No. If Satan showed up and said, hey, uh, knock, knock, uh, John 10, 10 is true. I'm here to steal, to kill, and destroy you. Can I come in and we chat? That's not how it works. L listen to 2 Corinthians 11 14, or start in verse 12, but am I doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the manner about which we're boasting. Paul says, look, there's guys that want to jump into my boat that aren't legitimate. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. The word there, disguise, it literally means masquerade. It's like the little thing where you'd hold a mask up to your face so no one could tell who you are. Listen to verse 14. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. You see what he's saying? Who does Satan show up to look like? A little A apostle. He shows up looking like an angel of light. He shows up disguised, counterfeited of the real thing. Listen, in Paul's day, the, the, the Judaizers that he's dealing with, they didn't deny that Jesus was the Messiah. 
They, didn't, they wouldn't deny the resurrection. They didn't claim some new special revelation. They didn't argue against the Old Testament. They, they would have believed in the oneness of God, the holiness of God, the importance of the Ten Commandments. But here's where they differed on the sufficiency of the gospel. The sufficiency of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They, they would have shared all those positions. I mean, if we're not careful, that would have sounded, hey, they must be believers. No, because they've added to Christ. They've added specifically circumcision. In order to be saved, it's Christ plus circumcision. And the errors was seemingly only to add to the finished work of Christ. It doesn't, it doesn't seem too gross, unless you're the guy that's got to get circumcised, I guess. You know, unless you're the person who has to add something to Christ. I, I, and this is real. I, was, I remember Ray, Reary, and I, last year, we took a t two years ago, a team to the DR. I remember sitting at a table, Ray and I, with, a, with a, a Muslim couple. And every day for probably an hour, I think I've told y'all, we would converse. And at one point in the conversation, and this is a great guy. This, this guy is a very nice guy. I see him around town, and we chat. And at one point, he says, hey, what you believe and what I believe aren't really that different. And to an extent, we held some common ground. But here's who we differed on, who is Jesus Christ. In his, in his view, Jesus Christ was simply a prophet, a good man. Wanted nothing to do with, with him dying on a cross. Wanted nothing to do with him being fully God, fully man. Listen, we could have been the same on every single, other, every single level of doctrine we could have agreed on. If we disagreed on that one point, that's too much. And I said to him, I said, Here, here, here's the problem. I said, because we disagree there, it was Ray and I, and it was that couple. I said, two of us at this table are going to hell. You believe that we are, because we don't believe what you believe about Jesus. And we, I'm telling you, based on the authority of the Word of God, I'm telling you, you, you and your wife are based on the authority of the Word of God. Because he was more than a prophet. He was not simply a good man. And, and here's what I'm telling you. Theology matters. Theology matters. Truth matters. Who Jesus is and what He did on the cross matters. It's not up for opinion. And I want to close with this illustration just to try to bring it home and we... Got ahead of myself with the, the oxygen and H2O. But think about this. Suppose I had a 500-gallon barrel of water right here. 500 gallons. Straight from a Zephyr Hills spring. Would you drink it? Of course you would. Pure water, you saw it straight from the well. I mean, straight from the spring. Came right in here. 500 gallons, pure Zephyr Hills water. I mean, it's free. We pay $1.99 or whatever for a pint of it. Drink it for it's free. Okay, this right here. Suppose, 500 gallons. Suppose I added a half a gallon of poison to it. Just a half a gallon. Still 500 gallons of pure water. I just added a half a gallon of impurity. Stirred it up real good. Would you drink it? You wouldn't drink it. No. Now some people in their foolishness, and I, I was thinking as I wrote this, 
I remember going on a mission trip with Addison. He cried some crazy things. Addison might have tried. Addison, oh, he's back there today. He'd probably drink it. I mean, Addison, the brother, brought a blow dart thing in Amazon and asked me to shoot it into his leg, and I was dumb enough to do it. He'd probably take his chances. But here's my point. If we're that protective of our drinking water, why would we be not more protective about the gospel by which we're saved? If that small amount of impurity offends us about our drinking water, why would, why would we not be more offended about what people are doing to the gospel every single day? That's what Paul is getting at here. That's, that's why we structure our Wednesday nights as we do and our, and our Sunday mornings, why I try to preach the way. I'm not here for entertainment. I'm not here to tickle the ears. I'm not here to create a crowd. I'm here to grow people up in the grace of Christ. If you want to grow up, let's go. If you don't, there's other churches that will offer other stuff. That's just the way it is. I'm not saying I'm better than them or I'm all right. That's just what God has convicted me about. We, I, my job is to grow you up. My job is to, as Ephesians 4 says, is to grow you up in respects that you would be, that you'd be workers. He says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature, which belongs the fullness of Christ. That's my job. That, that when our students leave, that I've equipped you, mom and dad, to be able to equip them. Not my job. They can't defend themselves, that's, that's, on, that's on you. We're going to give you every opportunity to grow up. And if you read Galatians 1, 11 through 24, you'll, you'll see that discipleship is serious business. Not just being in church, not just occupying a place on a pew, but growing up in grace that we can contend for the gospel no matter what. And, and, and I pray that, that we as a church will help you, mom and dad, but, but I pray more than anything, mom and dad, that you'd be serious. God has given us little children, little boys and girls, and he like arrows in the hand of an, of an archer. Where are we aiming them? How are we pouring into them that they'll grow up and be able to defend their faith when they go off to college or when they stand in front of the real world? Will they defend? Will they contend? Will, will they see why you're, caught, why you're challenging them to live the way they are under your roof? Not because it's your rules, but because it honors Christ, so they'll understand the lifelong objective that it's not, woo, I'm out from under mom's roof, I'm going to go live however I want to live. No, they'll grow up in Christ. And if you're here today and you're not certain that you're believing in Christ alone for your salvation, that's where it starts. I pray that you'd have the boldness, that God would stir in your spirit the boldness to come talk to me. No matter how old, no matter how young, no matter how long you sat in a pew, if you're not trusting in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, let's deal with it. And then if you have, let's grow up in respect to that salvation that we can contend earnestly for the faith. That we'll be mature and not lacking anything. That we'll be immovable. 